Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. If you're anything like me, when you came to church and you realized I was going to be doing a sermon series on work, if that had been me and I was going to church and the preacher was going to do a series on work, I've done some jobs that I wasn't, let's just say I was a little less than thrilled to be doing those jobs. Um, And if I'd heard that a, a guy like me was going to talk for four weeks on work, I would have thought, okay, I'm out, right? Like, I I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not interested. I don't want to hear it. What in the world can God do with me at my job that I hate? Um, and I just have a sneaking suspicion that even if you wouldn't be honest with me, but if you were honest with yourself, some of you probably had this, this thought go through your head, oh, really? We're going to talk about work for four weeks? Can't we talk about love or forgiveness or anything, Brett, but work? Really? But um, hopefully this series has brought with it some principles that have helped you, and I think today... Uh, again, it's going to be very helpful. I have personally, it's always the case. If you want, um, there, there's nothing like, like teaching material to learn, right? Like nobody learns more than me. I prepare to teach you, and in preparing, I just grow like a little weed. It's, it's a, I've learned a lot <clears throat> in this series, things about work that I had not ever thought about before. And so um, we're, we're in week three of this, and I think today's going to be, we're going to go kind of a little different direction, and I think that when you're done, when we're done, you're going to say, you know what, that, that, I, I, it, I mean, it's hard, what he's asking me to do is hard, but I think he's right, and I think we should do it. So I want to start by just talking about our favorite restaurant. You know, if I were to ask you, <clears throat> do you have a favorite restaurant, or what is your favorite restaurant, um, that question's hard for me to answer because I don't have just one, as you can look at me and tell. I've got several that I really like. Um, can't just limit it to one. But uh, one of them is in Bloomington, Indiana. And every year, uh, our youth pastor, Ryan, has a summer intern, a summer youth intern. And there's s- certain weeks that he's going to be on vacation through the summer, and so he will ask the staff to to take a day and devote it to, to you know, investing in, in the summer intern. And this year's summer intern is a kid named J.T. Canary, who if you have not met him, he's just a wonderful young man. I've just really enjoyed having J.T. And I got to spend some time with him about two weeks ago. Uh, it was my turn. to I t- had two days where I just tried to pour into J.T., just try to teach him everything I know, which doesn't take long, but, but uh, I just gave him everything I had. And uh, the way I like to do that is I like to um, put them in a car and take them to Bloomington and feed them at one of my favorite restaurants. And, and Dee Dee and I are blessed to have a little, a little two-seat convertible. We didn't pay a lot for it, but it's just kind of our, um, it's our little stress reliever, right? Like it's better than drugs. Just get in the car and take a drive. Um, Last night, we went and watched all the fireworks throughout the city, just drove around the city watching fireworks over the city. It was kind of cool. 
But uh, I put JT in the car two weeks ago, put the top down. It was a hot, sunny day. I burnt the top of my head, forgot to put my hat on, and we drove to Bloomington. And so on that drive, it's an hour, hour and 10, 15 minutes, you're able to talk. You're able to get to know each other, kind of download lives. And I learned a lot about JT. His daddy's a pastor, and his mom's involved in ministry too, and uh, I think is like a kindergarten. She's like the preschool pastor and Um, he's from Florida, just really great family, great kid, and just got to really get to know him. But then we got to a place called Bub's Burgers. Have you ever eaten at Bub's Burgers? Ever heard of Bub's Burgers? I'm telling you, awesome doesn't describe this place. So when I go to Bub's Burgers, there's a couple of things that that can happen. Um, You can go to Bub's and you can order something. They They are the home of the Big Ugly. And the Big Ugly is a post-cooked, it's one pound post-cooked, big huge bun, takes three slices of cheese to cover this thing, and if you can eat a Big Ugly in one sitting, they take your picture and they put it on the wall. So how many of you think my picture's on the wall at Bub's? Absolutely, it's on the wall, As as are both my boys have their picture on the wall at Bub's. Absolutely, we are on there. So I took JT, and I'm explaining all this to him. And he's like, well, I don't know if that I'm ready to do that today. Well, as the guy came out to talk to us a little bit, he explained, and I didn't know this, but you have all day. It's not like a time thing. You got all day to eat it. Well, if you give me all day, I mean, I can do damage. And so JT is starting to do the math in his head. The record is four of these things. Now, they're huge. I mean, they're huge. The record is four. Um, my son has since told me when I told him about all this, he said, Dad, you know the guy that ate those four. He was hiring a kite, right? You know that. It's like, no, I didn't know that. But JT saw the picture of the guy that had eaten four, and he's, he's doing the math. He's thinking, you know, if I got there when they open and I eat all day till they close, maybe I could set the record and eat five, which if you eat five, they give you a cardboard cutout. When you walk in, they, that you, they see you with the five plates. So JT is mulling in his head going back and going for five, which his dad may sue because we, we may send JT back at 400 pounds. I don't know. But, um, but I order, this is my favorite thing to order at Bub's Burgers. This is called the not-so-ugly hangover edition. And the not-so-ugly is, is a half pound. After they cook it, it weighs a half a pound. Uh, It's got the condiments there, but what you see is a burger with ham, bacon, and then they add an over-easy egg on top of that. I'm telling you, when you bite into that, it is just just gooey deliciousness. That's the only way I know how to describe it. It's fantastic. And then what you see at the top is a thing that they're known for. It's called the sloppy waffle. It's a a, um, waffle cut fry with, some of you are looking at me like, how is he not dead? But waffle cut fries, uh, cheese, sour cream, and then they drizzle Bub's uh, chili on top of that. Oh, just telling you. And my plate is completely clean when I walk out of there, like nothing's left, okay? I pick every part of it, it's just gone. Uh, JT was the same way. So we had a great time at Bub's Burgers. But I wonder if as I'm eating that burger and being served by the people who serve, I wonder if they realize, I wonder if the people who made that for me understand that they are an answer to a a prayer that I pray 
not every day, but often. I think we all pray it in one form or another. We may not pray it exactly like this, but here's the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, give us this day our daily bread. Thank you for this day. That's kind of what we're saying when we pray that, right? Um, thank you for this day. Thank you for providing. Father, I have lots of things that I need. Give me, give me what I need today. And I think that when we pray that prayer, you know, what if God answers that prayer through the restaurant workers who served me that burger that day? What, what if God cares for me through their work? And what if God cares for them through my work, whatever my work might be? If this is true, that God loves you um, through other people, and he does for others the same thing through you, then this changes everything that we should think about work and the way we do it. And the conversation about our work, if this is true, <clears throat> needs to change. So, you know, often we view our work as a means for making money. That's really what, that's all we think about when we think about our work is, well, it, it, it helps me make a living. And I don't want you to miss understand me, I, I, I'd have no problem with that. You know, making a wage is an important thing. Make it, earning a living, I'm not here to argue against, you know, you making as much money as you can make. I, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm not, you're not going to hear me say, you know, you shouldn't worry about that or don't be, don't be carnal or fleshly and think about the money. No. Um, supporting yourself is a matter of dignity. It's a matter of nobility. It's a good thing for you to work and to make a wage and to provide for yourself and for your family. But it just seems to me that there's more to it than just putting in the hours someplace and, and you know, spending a week with your eye toward the weekend and making a bunch of money so that you can spend it all on the weekend. It just seems to me that there should be more to our work than that. Uh, there's got to be more going on than just, hey, I'm, I'm here to make money. And so what if one of the purposes of our work is that God uses our work to care for other people? So today what I want to do is I want to give you three transformational ideas that I think can change the way you view your work, ideas that may help you reframe the work you do, whether it's paid or unpaid, and how that work can benefit other people, um, whether you're either cutting deals or cutting hair or cutting lawns. It doesn't matter. So transformational idea number one is this. Work is an expression of God's care. Work is an expression of God's care. God cares for me disguised through the work of other people. Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is, is doing what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the places where Jesus talks or refers to or teaches us about prayer. It's where we find the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught us to pray, Father, please provide for us today the things we need for today. It's a common prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What if God says, I'll do that, however, I'm going to do that kind of incognito. I'm going to do that in a way that you may not necessarily recognize. I'm going to provide your daily bread through those guys on the other side of the counter. 
I'm going to provide for you through that server who took your order or through that person, that hostess who seated you when you, when you first walked in. I will supply your daily bread, but it will come to you disguised as other people as they dispatch their duties. They are doing my work even if they don't recognize it. And right about now, somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, Brett, you're, you're stretching it. Because you're taking one line out of a Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about prayer and you've got this sermon series going on about work and you're trying to shoehorn this one verse into that and, you, and, and, and Brett, it's a stretch. I don't know that it's really working. And, and, you know, where would anybody get an idea like that? Well, this is where we would get the idea. I don't know if you know who that is, but it's, it's not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King got his name from this guy. Um, this guy lived around the turn of the 15th and 16th centuries, uh, a brilliant man. He was a German reformer. The fact that you are in this church is testament to the fact that he has touched or changed your life because the word Protestant is a word we get from Luther who protested against some of the things that were happening in the, in the church at the time. And out of that protest came to be churches like ours. And so uh, whether you even realize it or not, your life has been, I would say, fairly largely impacted by the life of this man, Martin Luther. And, and so when he got to that line, give us this day our daily bread, here's what Luther wrote. He said, when you pray for daily bread, you are praying for everything that contributes to your having and enjoying your daily bread. You must open up and expand your thinking so that it reaches not only as far as the flour bin and baking oven, but also out over the broad fields, the farmlands, and the entire country that produces, processes, and conveys to us our daily bread. So Luther's saying, look, you've got to open your mind. It's not just the loaf of bread, it's the farmer's field. It's the baker who's baking the bread. It's the vehicle that brought this to you. Here, God answers your prayer disguised as one who grows wheat, bakes bread, and delivers the bread. Luther would say these are the masks of God which he uses to care for us. He's indicating that our work is something that God can use. Now, uh, in Luther's day, that was a revolutionary idea. Nobody was thinking about that in Luther's day, and I, I, I think really... Um, most people today would join the people of Luther's day in that thinking that, you know, it's a, you know, Brett, my job is secular. Uh, God can't really help anybody through what I'm doing. You know, I don't, I don't put the two things together. Um, you know, I think a lot of people look at what I do and they think, well, Brett does the Lord's work. I don't do the Lord's work. I think a lot of us think that if you're not a priest or if you're not a nun or a pastor or a monk, that you're, you're really not doing the Lord's work. And that's, that simply is not true, as we're going to see today. Um, you know, we look at, we kind of want to split everything in, into secular and, and spiritual. And where God's concerned, there is no se separation, right? There, there, is no, there is no line like that where God's concerned. It's just, it's life. And, and God wants to come into what you might look at as secular things, and he wants to have some influence there, and he wants you to have some influence into secular places. Not necessarily to, to evangelize, not necessarily to teach somebody about Jesus, but just to care for somebody, to love somebody, to, to, take, to take care of them. So um, 
one of the ways that God does that for me is a couple times a year I make an appointment and I go see my dentist. I love my dentist. He's a great guy. We're good friends. He's, he's just been very, very good to me. He's gentle, which I really like, right? It doesn't hurt me. Um, not too long ago, he had to do something to, to my gums, and it was really painful. And I thought he was going to cry because I was on the, tear, on the verge of tears. And he was like, Brett, I'm so sorry. I'm having to hurt you like this. Um, but there's a little girl in there named Lacey, and Lacey's got a, a, a baby, and um, when I go in, Lacey and I have a, as much of a conversation as you can have with, with dental instruments in your mouth, right? Isn't that amazing how they, they want you to talk? They ask you a question and then they put those things in your mouth. But Lacey and I have become friends and, and I, it's fun for me to hear about her, her daughter and she's all constantly asking me about trips I've taken or, you know, what's going on at the church and, um, you know, she, once in a while she'll ask me advice about raising kids because I've got three grown kids and, Uh, It's just a really cool thing. Well, God uses Lacey to take care of me and my health and my teeth. God's using her. There's two guys that go to church here, Michael and Rick. They are mechanics. Um, Rick DePlante owns a a place up in Rockville, and that's where I take my car to have it fixed. And um, I love going up there because I trust them and they're good to me. But, But one of the things that happens is we've become good friends. And as they work on my cars, I know if they walk out and say, hey, Brett, this, you know, you, you really, these brakes are not good. You, these have to be fixed. I don't question it. I don't question whether or not they're telling me the truth. I know they're telling me the truth. I know that they care about me as a person, and they're not going to try to take my money. And so we've just be, developed this friendship and this bond, and they care. God uses Rick and Michael to care for me and make a difference in my life. Now, I don't know that they think about it like that, but I do. I know that what they do for me is a blessing to me. You know, there are so many things in my life that I enjoy. I've talked about this before. It wouldn't be a surprise to you. Uh, One of the things I like to do is kayak. But here's what I can tell you. I neither designed or constructed that kayak. I didn't make that thing. Somebody in a factory somewhere molded that out of a piece of plastic. They fitted some attachments to it for accessories, and they did some things to it to make it seaworthy, and, and I'm the one that gets to put it in the water and take it out and enjoy it. Now, they have no idea my name. They don't know anything about me. They don't realize that when they made that kayak, they made a man very, very happy because when I'm in that place, I'm a happy boy. Same thing with the tent that I use. The person I didn't design or construct the tent. I, I had nothing to do with that. Somebody else meticulously stitched that together. Somebody else made sure that there were enough poles in the bag. Somebody else made sure that the floor was going to hold up when you put a cot in there or something like that. I didn't do any of that, but I'm the one that benefits from it. And my life is better, and I'm able to take my tent and go set it up somewhere and camp for a little bit and feel a little closer to Jesus and a little further away from the world, which we all need once in a while, and, and I'm happier. And somebody in a factory did that, and in doing so, blessed my life. Now, they probably weren't thinking that. They probably had no idea in their mind, hey, I'm, you know, God's going to use me to bless Brett's life, but that's exactly what happened. Even in opportunities of recreation, through the work and skill of others, we are benefited. So a common phrase that you hear, uh, prayed, especially at churches, especially like if you go to a, a funeral dinner or if you, anytime the congregation or the, God's people come together to eat, you will hear this, this phrase. Somebody will pray, 
And the prayer, you could probably say it with me, the prayer is this, and God, please, we thank you for this food, and what comes next? And bless the hands that have prepared it, right? You ever heard that? So that's just one of the things that we pray, bless the hands that have prepared it. Now, I think when we say that, what we're thinking is the person on the other side of the counter, the person that we can see, the one that, that, that actually put that food out there so that we could eat it. But what if it goes beyond that? Should we not thank, be thankful for the truck driver who delivered the food in the first place? Should we not be thankful for the person in the meat processing plant who, who every day gets up and goes to work to make sure that he's sorting out bad meat from good meat, making sure that the right stuff gets put out for, for consumption and the wrong stuff doesn't? Um, what if God cares for you through the work of other people? You say, well, Brett, I mean... What's the point, really? What's going on? I mean, God cares for you in your daily life through common, ordinary work of other people. That's what God does. And that should change something about the way we view our work and the way we work for other people. It might even change the way we value and honor other people at work, which you probably go to work and you're like, man, I can't stand them. Well, if you start to see your work differently, maybe you start to treat somebody differently. Now, the flip side of all this is that not only does God care for you through the work of other people, but God uses you to care for other people through the work that you do. You see, you just aren't going in every day and doing your job. Um, You're not really thinking about God and your work. You probably aren't, but you need to. You need to start to see that God uses you to help other people. So transformational idea Work is an expression of God's care. Transformational idea number two, work is an expression of, of, God, of your love. Work is an, is an expression of your love. Work is a way, one of the big ways, actually, and perhaps one of the most important ways God uses to love other people. In the last week of the life of Jesus, he, he is coming into Jerusalem. And everything that Jesus did leading up to the crucifixion, he has set his face to Jerusalem. And he knows what lies ahead. I don't think his disciples had any idea what lay ahead for Jesus. But Jesus knew. And he comes into the city and he knows he's going to do a lot of teaching. He knows he's going to encounter a lot of people. Um, And that's exactly what happened. And Jesus spent a lot of his time in this particular place. This is an artist's rendition of the temple in Jerusalem. Massive, big place. And uh, what I would tell you is that it's festival time. It's Passover time. And so uh, the city is just, it's swollen with people. Probably two to three times as many people in the city as would normally be there. People everywhere, very crowded. Um, you know, think, think Christmas time on steroids, you know, traffic-wise and, and, and store-wise. And Jesus was there every day and he was teaching And what's going on as Jesus is teaching is he's encountering people who are not necessarily happy that he's there. There are some people who are looking to trip him up and some people that are, you know, they're asking questions that have these little landmines in them, hoping that Jesus will slip up and make the wrong statement or say the wrong thing so that they can get him. And so Jesus is trying to navigate all this when all of a sudden a guy comes up who looks like an honest, just a good guy. There's no reason to think that this guy is is trying to make trouble for Jesus, and he's going to ask a very simple question. And the question is this, Jesus, out of all these commandments that we have to follow, and you have to keep in mind, uh, the Jews had like 613 different rules that they had to keep. 
And that, that would be a lot. That's a lot to sort out and to keep straight and make sure you don't do something wrong. And that would be exasperating. Well, this guy's kind of had it. And so he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, out of all this 613 different rules that we've got, what's the most important commandment? <laughs> and as is the case, when you deal with Jesus, you get a bonus. It's not just one. You get two. We find that in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's number one. Honor God with everything you've got. Love God with your whole heart. Love him with your soul, your brain, your thinking. Use that to love God. Your, your strength, your bodily strength, use that to love God. Jesus says number two is like it, verse 31, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Basically, Jesus says, if you love God with everything you have and then you love people like you love yourself, if you sacrifice for them the way you sacrifice for yourself, then you have figured it out. You, you, you've, you've come to understand what it is to love God. Now, it's easy to say that. It's very hard to do that. We have made Jesus, we have made following Jesus this really complicated thing. And following Jesus is not complicated. Guys like me, I don't know why we do it. I think we're trying to make ourselves look smarter. I don't, I don't get it. But honestly, following Jesus is not complicated. Following Jesus is really pretty simple. Notice I said simple, I did not say easy. It's simple to say, it's not easy to do. Following Jesus is just waking up every day and trying to make your life look like his. Not hard, not hard to say, incredibly hard to do. I've said many times, being a, trying to follow Jesus is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life because I'm trying to make my life reflect his life and there's so much of the time that my life just doesn't reflect his life at all. And so one command, two parts, love God and love others like you love yourself. I cannot love God if I don't love you. I, I can't love God well if I'm not willing to love you well. And you say, but Brett, how? Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you do that? Well, one of the ways is through your work. You love others through the way you conduct yourself in whatever vocation it is that you dispatch every day of your life. We talked in the first week of this series about Tim Keller, uh, who's a pastor in New York City, uh, he's written a book called Every Good Endeavor, and, and Pastor Keller wrote this in this book. There may be no better way to love your neighbor, whether you are writing parking tickets, software, or books, than to simply do your work. But only skilled, competent work will do. Now, here's where I'm going to use an illustration to try to help you see why it's important. Have you ever... Men, have you ever gotten like a desk or something that you were going to have to assemble or something that came with instructions and little packets of materials, um, Allen wrenches and some screws and things, and you're going to try to put that together and you get about halfway through only to realize that they did not include a certain handle or a certain type of screw. There's something missing in the box and it just completely, now you've got this mess in the middle of your floor that you can't finish putting together, you can't move forward, you, you, you get on the phone with them, they tell you it's gonna be, well, we can get you one. Can you take it back to the store? No, I cannot take this back to the store. Well, it's gonna be three weeks before we can get one of those to you, and you just wanna pull your hair out. All that because somebody at work wasn't paying attention. 
Somebody didn't do their job. You know, just think about all the things that you've had happen to you in your life where if the people who were responsible had just done their job. You're not asking for, for you know, special treatment. Just do what you're supposed to do as well as you can do it. Can you imagine how much better life would go in the world if everybody went to work and we did our jobs as if we were working for God and we did it the best we could? Can you imagine how much better your life would be? We would have fewer missing screws. We'd have, you know, our men would not be cursing. They would actually get the desk built. It would be a kind of a cool thing. Because to love well is to work well. That's kind of one of the points today. To love well is to work well. There are certain things that I just absolutely hate to do. As you probably have heard me talk, and you could probably imagine what they are, I'm not big into, I don't like, I don't, I like, Cutting wood, that's fun. I like cutting up wood and chainsaws and that kind of stuff. I don't, that's, getting hot and sweaty doing that is fun for me. I don't enjoy digging plants out of the ground. I don't enjoy putting plants in the ground. I think they're pretty. I think it's wonderful that you love to do that. I don't like to do that, right? I don't, I don't want to rake anything. I don't hoe. I don't need a hoe. I don't want a hoe. Just, no. I, I don't want any of that stuff. But... When I go home to see my mother, and I was just home this weekend, when I go home to see my mother, once in a while she'll look at me and say, Brett, I've got something I need you to do for me. And sometimes it includes rakes and hoes. Do you think I protest? No, because I love my mother. And even though I don't necessarily love the work, I love my mother. And when she gives me something to do, I do it as well as I can do it. And I want to do it in a way that makes her happy, not because I love the work, but because I love her and because I want to serve her because she's important to me. And so if I would just take that and convey that to every other person, if I would just love everybody else the way I love mama in my work would make a, di a big difference in work. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's say that you're sick, okay? You're pretty sick, pretty serious. You're, you're scared, and you're going to go to the doctor, and I've got two doctors here for you. They're both brilliant, okay? They're both perfectly capable of assessing your situation and prescribing for you whatever it is that you need to, to help you to get better. That's not the issue. But this doctor will look you right in the eye and say, the only reason I went into medicine is because I thought I could make a lot of money. Okay, got it? That's, that's what this guy. This guy over here says, that's not why I went into medicine. I went into medicine because I really enjoy the healing process, and I really like to learn, and I, I, I really love being able to help people. And they're both brilliant. They're both going to be able to fix you. One went into it for the money, and one of them went into it to serve you. Which one do you want serving you? Which one do you want to try to heal you? I'm picking this guy, right? I want the guy whose attitude is, I'm in it for them. I'm not in it for me. I, I want to be able to serve them and their needs. I, I'm, I'm, I want to give. Um, to work well, uh, to love well is to serve well. So if you're a roofer, then you should roof a house as, as if it was your own. Uh, believe it or not, I know this will be hard for some of you to believe. It's kind of hard for me to believe. But there was a time <laughs> that God used me in the construction business. 
The fact that God can use me in the construction business is testament that God can use anybody to do anything. There was a time that God had me on a roof hammering shingles on houses. There was a time God had me hammering siding on the side of houses. I was doing flooring work and concrete and all kinds of things. Um, One of the phrases that I heard as we would work, once in a while I'd hear somebody say, well, you can't see it from my house. Oops, I made a mistake. But I can't see it from my house, which is code for I'm not going to fix that. I'm just going to leave that the way it is. Well, let me ask you, would you want your carpenter to look at it like that? Or would you want your carpenter to fix it and fix it the right way? You should do for others the way you would do for your mama or the way you, maybe, maybe mama's not even a good enough motivation for some of you. But for you, it, roof your house the way, roof their house the way you would roof your own house. You say, but Brett, I'm a mechanic. I mean, you know, they may not even know that my attitude is to love them through my work. Maybe not, but God will know and you will know. And at the end of the day, that's really what humility, that's how you sum up humility. God knows and I know, then that's all that needs to know. Nobody else needs to know. If, if, I'm, if, if God knows that I'm serving other people through what I'm trying to do, they may not even realize that, that, that I'm thinking about them as I turn this wrench or as I take off this oil filter or whatever. They may not realize that I'm doing it because I'm trying to care for them, but God knows that I care, and that's going to be the difference. See, there's, an, there's, an, there's a, a consequence attached to this idea. When you are selecting a career, and you find, or maybe you're going to retool. You know, sometimes we get midstream and we're like, I do not like the work I'm doing. I'm going to do something else. And you're going to retool. One of the questions that comes up when we're either retooling and when we're thinking about what we want to do for a living is we ask the question, how much money can I make doing this? That's not a bad question. I'm not here today to, to poo-poo the idea of you trying to make money. I, that's a noble thing. And Asking that question, I would wonder about you if you didn't ask that question. Because if you're not going to make enough money to to do what's necessary for your family, you've got to consider trying to do maybe something else. So asking the question, how much money can I make doing this, that's, that's not an insignificant question because it's an honorable thing to support your family. But don't take something that is a question and make it the question. How much money can I make doing this? That's a question. But don't make that the question. There's a bigger question. A better question might be, when I consider my talents and abilities, when I consider what it is that God needs done in the world, God needs good doctors, God needs good attorneys, he needs good construction people, he needs good truck drivers, he needs good bakers. God needs all those good kind of things. How, how, when I realize that God needs those kinds of good people, and, and this is my, these are my gifts and abilities, and this is kind of where my interests lie, how can God use me? Uh, Frederick Beekner, one of the reasons I'm in ministry is a quote by Frederick Beekner, who, uh, I'm, it's, this isn't an exact, uh, exact quote, but he basically said, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, God's will for your life is where God's greatest need and your greatest joy cross. That's God's will for your life. Where is, where is your greatest joy and where do you perceive God's greatest need and that's the center for you. That's the thing that you should shoot for. 
So transformational idea number two, work is is an expression of your love. Command number two, love your neighbor as yourself. How? Through your work. To love well is to work well. You say, Brett, where I work, nobody knows my name. I am I am unrecognized, I am unthanked, Brett, I'm pretty much invisible, I am not passionate about the work that I'm doing, I'm just basically doing it, which brings me to a question that I want to ask you this morning. How do you respond graciously and lovingly when you aren't particularly loving, when people aren't particularly loving and gracious to you at work? How do you do that? How do you go to work in a place where people aren't necessarily good to you and still be good to them. Right now I'm thinking about anybody who works in the area of customer service. If you're in customer service, I salute you. Because all you do all day is handle people and they're complaining. Right? And that, that would get old pretty quick, I think, for most of us. And you say, Brett, work as an expression of my love. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not buying it. How do you love people when you aren't getting the love back? Is it even possible Transformational idea number three, work as an overflow of grace. Work as an overflow of grace. Let's return for a moment to Luther. Nobody wanted to please God more than Luther. Nobody loved God more than Luther. Nobody wanted to know the full acceptance of God more than Luther. But as Luther started reading his Bible, he kept coming across certain words, words like righteousness. Now, I've tried to teach you here that when you see the word righteous, it's a big, long theological word that's really simple, right standing with God. You see righteous, just think right standing with God. And and Luther is thinking, every time he's reading the Bible, he's confronted with this idea that I'm not in a right standing with God. I don't feel like I'm lined up with him. I don't feel like I'm accepted. And he tried to measure up, but he always felt like he fell short. And then he had an encounter with grace. When you talk about grace, you're talking about that part of God's character that is generous. That part of God's character that just gives and gives and gives some more. And Martin Luther encountered the grace of God, and it rocked him to his core. Luther read some verses of Scripture, and he came across this one. This happens to be one of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And Luther figured out that you aren't connected to God because of something good that you've done. You're connected to God because God is good. And he's done something good for you. The story of the crucifixion is that God came to pay a debt that we had incurred that we could not pay. We we are ill-equipped to pay for our sins. They are my debts. They are your debts. And Jesus can forgive us because the debt was paid on the cross. We celebrated that in our communion time. Every foolish act Every blunder, every mistake, every time you've ever had to say, please forgive me, I was wrong. Jesus went to the cross for that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's, this verse is life-altering. If you start to take this seriously, it'll change your life. Some people, when they think about God and they, they start thinking about church, their mind goes to a place where they say, well, um, that's not a place for me. Well, why not? Well, um, I'm just not the kind of person that God could use. I'm, 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 Brett, I'm not, 
what they're trying to say is they're not good enough. They might not say it that way, but I'm just not, I don't keep the rules very well. I'm not, I, I haven't been very good. It's verses like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 that should change your mind, that help you to see that it's not even about how good you are. It has nothing to do with it. Your salvation is not in any way performance-based. Your salvation is completely based on the love, forgiveness, and acceptance of Christ. One of the phrases that we use in church is the phrase, I trusted Jesus. What, what does that mean? It means that we realize that we are incapable of self-rescue. It means that I, on my own, am not able to live a perfect life. Um, that, that It means that I'm, I'm jacked up and messed up and I need help. It means that I... I I'm going to trust God with my life. I want him to move in. I want him to transform me, to change me from the inside out, change my heart, make me a better husband, make me a better teacher, make me a better worker, better parent. And you just say, Lord, thank you for loving me long before I loved you, long before uh, I trusted you with my life. You were loving me. Right after Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you come to verse 10, and it says this, For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That phrase, good works, to do good works, I don't think that's specifically referring to our vocation, but I think our vocation certainly fits into that. <clears throat> God doesn't love you because you're good. <clears throat> God loves you because he's good. What are we talking about today? We're talking about grace-infused work. Talking about God-empowered Work. I'm talking about you going into work tomorrow or tonight or whenever you have to go and you being able to love people who are unlovable. You, you being able to love people who are hard to take, who, who just kind of can get under your skin. And it's about you being able to love those people because you, who are unlovable at times as well, have been loved and forgiven and received the grace of God. That should change everything for us. That should change the way we work. And we don't just go to work to work to make some money. We go to work because we can serve and honor God and we can love other people in the process. So hopefully that changes the way you, you, you work and the way you approach it. I would just remind you that when Christ went to the cross, he went to the cross for you and me, and we are not lovable much of the time. We just, we got issues, right? We've got big issues. And, and, and Jesus says, you know what? I don't care. I love you. I'm going to die for you. If you've never given your life to Christ, I, I just I would encourage you to think about that as a, uh, an option for your life. I, I tell people this all the time. I heard Andy Stanley say this, and it truly is the truth. Jesus makes you better at life, and he makes your life better. It's just that simple. Makes your life better and makes, life, and makes you better at life. Let's pray, and uh, the band will come out and sing us out. Father, most of us have jobs in this room. Or, or we're retired and we have had and we know what it's like to have to go to work, maybe to a place that we don't enjoy. Uh, Father, I pray that after we've heard what we've heard today, that, that maybe our attitude could change a little bit. Maybe we could see it differently. Maybe we could see that you truly do use us, even if the people who, who benefit from our work will never meet us, never know us, or never even know that we cared about them. You see it, and we know it. And that's the game changer. Father, would we have that much humility? Would we have that much compassion for the people around us? Would we have that much Jesus in our heart?
that we would be able to go to work and work hard and work good because it honors you. Pray it, Father, in the precious name of Jesus who gave everything on our behalf so that we would know what it is to be forgiven. Father, we are humbled by that and we worship you because of it. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray.